Scripture reading this, this morning is coming from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Part of what we're looking at in the sermon uh, is the parable of the sower and the, the good soil that bears abundant fruit. And Colossians chapter 3 gives us a picture or a description of what that picture of abundant fruit looks like in the Christian life. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 all the way down to verse 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray as we come to God's word together now. Lord, we pray that as we do come to hear from you, pray that you would open our ears to be able to hear your truth, to open our eyes to see ourselves and to see you. And to see the amazing privilege of our salvation. And Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts and our lives to be more like you. That we would respond to your gospel in gratitude, relying on your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 1, or Mark chapter 4, sorry, verses 1 through 20. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. As you turn there, it's important to know that we're starting a, a new section in the book of Mark. Uh, so far, we've seen many of Jesus' miracles, and then we've seen in chapter 3 different responses to Jesus as people begin to understand more about Jesus and his work. And this morning in Mark chapter 4, we kind of turn a corner and we meet Jesus teaching. We've heard that he's been teaching, but here we actually hear the things that he's been telling the crowd. 
verses 1 to 34 are a series of parables as Jesus teaches the people about the kingdom of God. Verses 1 through 20 is the first parable. It's the parable of the sower. It's the longest, and in some ways it's the most important parable because in these verses Jesus gives us a a big picture view of what it looks like when he brings the kingdom of God. Verses 1 through 20 are kind of an overview of all of Jesus' ministry. So with that in mind, let's look at the parable together, starting in verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In this uh, familiar parable, Jesus explains what it looks like for him To bring the kingdom of God. That's really the main idea is that Jesus explains what it looks like for him to bring the kingdom of God. In other words, the parable of the sower is Jesus describing his own ministry. Remember that his basic message all the way through Mark has been the same. From 1.15 onward, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe In the gospel, all of his words and all of his actions, all his teaching, all of his miracles have the same goal to proclaim and to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing God's saving rule to the world. And in our passage this morning, Jesus steps back to to show us what it looks like for that kingdom to be proclaimed and for that kingdom to come. What it actually looks like 
for God's saving rule to come in Jesus. As we see that in this parable, it is a surprising picture of a surprising kind of kingdom. Now this morning we're going to see three points as we look at this parable. First we'll see the actual parable itself, the parable of the sower, verses 1 through 9. Then we'll see secondly the need for parables in verses 10 to 12. And thirdly we'll see the explanation of the parable of the sower in verses 13 to 20. Let's look at the parable of the sower first. Verses 1 to 9. It's important to notice that this particular parable is just one of many that Jesus told. We see that in the introduction to our passage in verses 1 through 10, or 1 through 2. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And then in his teaching, he said to them, and then he gave them this specific parable of the sower. We see later, actually, in verse 34, at the end of our bigger passage, that Jesus only taught the crowds using parables. Parables are very important in the ministry of Jesus. But what is a parable? Well, a parable is a story. Jesus is taking a familiar picture from the life of the people around him, and he's using that to show a spiritual message. But so often as you look at the parables, it becomes clear the picture is familiar, but the message is not immediately obvious. Think about the the parable of the sower. The picture is something that many of the people in his day would have seen. Uh, A man with a big basket of seed walking through the field, sowing the seed around. They would have seen birds come and eat. They would have seen some of these seeds fall in different parts of the ground. They would have seen the picture and know, but the meaning is not abundantly clear. Put yourself on the beach with all those other people who are hearing Jesus. What is this parable actually about? We have the the benefit of Jesus' explanation later, and so often we just actually skip over the parable right to his explanation. We say, oh, we know what it means now because we have what Jesus said. But again, put yourself on the beach. As you hear these words about a farmer going to sow, what does it mean? It's pretty obvious it's not just about a farmer, right? You knew this would be more about farming, but the meaning of the parable is not abundantly clear. You don't know, for instance, as you're sitting on there on the beach, that the seed is the word of God or that the sower is Jesus. You don't know that unless Jesus tells you. So the picture is familiar, but the meaning is not immediately clear. And that's why Jesus' words here at the end of the parable are so important. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some there will be able to hear and understand the parable, but some will not be able to. We sometimes tell kids to put your listening ears on. I remember that from class. Hopefully it wasn't for me, but uh, put your listening ears on. Jesus is actually saying something similar here. He says, put your spiritual ears on, your faith ears. If you have them, you will hear what I am saying and you will understand. And that is an absolutely critical point as we look at the parables of Jesus. Jesus' parables are about spiritual truths and they require spiritual help, God's help, to be able to understand. 
Now, I think if we're anything like the disciples, we want to ask Jesus, why? Why, why all these parables? And why only these parables now? Jesus, isn't there a, a better way for ministry? Why not just teach from the Bible like you've done at other times? Or at least tell the crowds what the parables mean. But that actually leads us to our second point this morning, the purpose of parables in verses 10 to 12. These seem to be some of the kinds of questions that the disciples have for Jesus in private. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. They're asking, why are you doing this and what do these things mean? And Jesus uses this opportunity to explain some of the basic features of his ministry. Look at verses 11 to 12. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is is drawing a very sharp distinction between his disciples and the crowds. He says to you, to the twelve, and those who are around him, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. You know something that others don't. But everyone else only gets the truth in parables, in picture form. Now there's a lot packed into that statement, a lot packed into that division. Let me start first with the secret of the kingdom of God. This is important to know some translations like the ESV choose secret. I think it's better to say mystery. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. In the Bible, mystery is something that God has to reveal. We cannot figure it out on our own. See the mystery, for instance, the mystery of Christ in you in Colossians chapter 1. that We have the promise of God's presence and here it is in Christ. We could not figure it out that Jesus was the promised son who would be with us. The mystery of the kingdom of God is something similar. It's something that God has to reveal to us. And the mystery is that the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the mystery. He has been revealed. Jesus is that promised king and savior who brings God's saving rule to the world. And Jesus says that the disciples... Now understand this. They know who he is, not because they're so wise, but again, because God has revealed it to them. Notice the wording. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But it's more than just that they've been given understanding. They need that. But they've also been given faith because these disciples believe that Jesus is the one who brings God's kingdom. They believe that he is the promised king. And because the disciples have that kind of saving faith, Jesus chooses to teach them plainly. Look at the end of our passage again, verse 34. The very end, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. That's what's true for the disciples. They have that faith and they get that teaching. But the crowds, the crowds do not have this kind of faith. And so they don't get that kind of clear teaching. They get parables instead. I'm just going to say that this 
can be really hard for us to understand. As I was reading the passage this week, I kept thinking to myself, if Jesus just preached a good sermon, I bet lots of those people in the crowd would believe. And I had to stop myself because I said, I'm being wiser, trying to be wiser than Jesus. I had a better plan than Jesus does. And Jesus says, actually, that's not true. That would not be true. If he preached the clearest sermon in the world to those crowds, they still would not believe. The problem is not in the way that he is speaking. The problem is in the hearts of the crowds. Jesus teaches in parables because the people will not believe in him. And he teaches in parables as a way of judging them for their unbelief. Again, I said this is hard for us to understand. This takes faith to trust Jesus that what he is doing here is both wise and just. But as we think about what Jesus is doing, we need to recognize this is not the first time that God has responded to his people this way, actually by hiding the truth from them. Jesus explains his own ministry in these verses by quoting from Isaiah. Verse 12 is a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And if you remember the context in Isaiah 6, this is part of God's commission to Isaiah. He says, you're going to be my prophet that no one will listen to. I mean, that seems like a really hard job. Your job, Isaiah, is to preach and no one will listen to you. The problem in Isaiah's day was not Isaiah. It was not his message. I think about the, the book of Isaiah. There's some of the greatest pictures and promises of the gospel. Isaiah 53 What a beautiful prophecy about forgiveness from sins in Jesus. The problem was not with Isaiah or his message. The problem was that the people of Isaiah's day didn't want to hear God speak to them anymore. And so God spoke in ways that they would not understand. They did not understand because they did not believe. The problem was their own sin. And that was the exact same problem in Jesus' day. Think about what Jesus has already shown to the people so far in the book of Mark. He has given them lots of evidence, if you want to call it that, about who he is and what he's come to do. He's destroying Satan's kingdom left, right, and center. He is forgiving sins. He is doing and saying things that only God can do and say. If you looked at the evidence, the verdict is clear. He is the Christ. But the people, in their sin, refuse to acknowledge what he is revealing. And because of what they do, because of what is in their hearts, he judges them by speaking in parables. Again, as we look at what Jesus is doing in his ministry here, we have to trust him. We have to trust God's sovereignty that he knew their hearts far better than we ever could. And that's why Jesus speaks in parables. And we have to also recognize that these people are responsible for their sin. Jesus is not being mean to speak to them in parables. He's not being mean to them. He is being just because each one of these people in the crowd is not responding to him in faith. I want to ask you a question for a minute. We see Jesus' words here explaining why he speaks in parables. Why does he say it now? Why does he say this here 
as he is telling the disciples the parable of the sower. Why does it fit in this passage? Well, I think part of the answer is that we see in Jesus in these, these center verses in 10 to 12, and actually in all of the verses here, Jesus is explaining his ministry. He's explaining what it looks like, what he is doing. As he explains the need for parables, he's showing basic features of his ministry, that he comes to reveal the truth and he will face rejection. But he will also lead some to faith and those people will be blessed with further teaching. Those very same things that I just pointed out are what we see in the parable of the sower as well. Jesus spreads the word. Many do not believe, but some do and are blessed abundantly. In other words, there's a very good reason that Jesus explains why he uses parables as he explains this particular parable of the sower. That leads us to our third and final point, the explanation of the parable itself in verses 14 to 20. Okay, Jesus reminds us how important this parable is. Right before he explains the parable, he says, Do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus' point is clear is that we need to understand the parable of the sower in order to understand the next parables he's about to give in the rest of Mark chapter 4. And the reason for this, as I said in the beginning, is that the parable of the sower is like, like a big picture look at what Jesus is doing. And those later parables in Mark 4 are like little snapshots of different parts of that work. And we'll look at those in the coming weeks. But now in the parable of the sower, we see the big picture. And let's look at Jesus' explanation. What is he doing in this parable? Well, it says, the sower sows the word, and there are four very different responses when people hear that word. So the basic summary. And that you can see the four responses here. Satan takes away the word from some, like the birds that quickly eat the seed as it falls on the path. The word of God doesn't have an effect in these people's lives. A second response is, well, some hear and they, re- they respond, but they fall away when persecution comes. There, there is a real response to the word, but it's not a lasting response. There's no root to their faith. Jesus says others hear and respond, but they never bear fruit. They are like those seeds that are sown among the thorns. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. For these people, the temptations of the world prove too much, and they fall away. But thankfully, some hear, and like seed that is planted in good soil, the word takes root. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, and they bear abundant fruit. Again, in this parable, Jesus is explaining what happens when he comes to spread the word. The most basic point of this entire parable is actually in the very first few words. A sower went out to sow. This is describing Jesus' ministry. This is what he came to do. He is the sower who spreads the good news of the kingdom of God. That is his mission, to proclaim and to bring God's saving rule. And Jesus, as the sower, spreads the word of the kingdom to everyone. We've seen that already in his ministry as he proclaims the kingdom to everyone, even to those he knows who will not respond rightly, even to hardened sinners 
who will not respond rightly. Think about those three soils. The three soils that do not respond, what do they share in common? The answer is sin. What Jesus is describing in these three soils are actually fallen hearts. These people cannot respond rightly to the word of God in faith. But that doesn't stop Jesus from proclaiming. Sinners need to hear the good news of the gospel even if they will not respond rightly because it brings God glory. As we think about what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming to sinners who won't respond. It's important to see that in these three bad soils, there's actually an escalation. Things get worse in a certain way. There's first no response to the word. Then there's a a short response to the word. And then there's a long but fruitless response to the word. Again, they, they look different, but they all have the same problem. There's no true faith. They are sinfully responding to Jesus. If you think about Jesus' own ministry, you can see these responses in the people that he spoke to. Many heard his message and, and didn't give it a second thought. They walked away after hearing him. They weren't changed. There were others who were excited about the good news, and they were sinners. And as sinners, we know we need help. And when someone shares the gospel, we know it's good news. But many of those same people who responded so joyfully to Jesus didn't stick around when things became difficult. They had no true roots of faith. And there were finally others, like Judas Iscariot, or later Paul's helper Demas. They looked legitimate for a while. They walked the walk. They talked the talk, but they were tempted by the things the world offered them, and they fell away, and their faith was shown to be empty. You think about these three soils and the work that Jesus does to spread the word to them, even though he knows there's no response. This is a surprising way to build a kingdom. This this seems like a very bad idea by proclaiming a message that so many people are going to reject. And for some of that rejection to come from your closest followers who really look good for a long, long time, if you only look at those first three soils and their responses, it doesn't look like Jesus is very successful to do his mission of proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God. But that's what makes the good soil so remarkable. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Here is proof that Jesus is building his kingdom. The fact that there is even any good soil to begin with in a world ruined by sin is a testament to the power of the kingdom of God. Because even before the word reaches these people, God is at work in them to regenerate them, to take out that hard-packed soil or that shallow soil or that thorn-infested soil, whatever our sinful nature looks like. God takes that away and he puts in good soil. He puts in a new heart by the Spirit's work. Already, even before the seed has been sown, we see the power of the kingdom of God. And God's work keeps going. Because when we hear the word, we accept it. He gives us the faith that we need. Like the disciples, we believe that Jesus is the promised Savior and King. And when we accept the gospel, we begin to bear fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our lives are transformed. 
And as we see in this parable, we don't just bear a little bit of spiritual fruit. Jesus describes an amazing harvest of righteousness, 30, 60, or even a hundredfold return on the sowing of one seed. Our lives as believers are overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. That seed falling on the good soil and bearing abundant fruit is the good news of the gospel. God saves sinners in Jesus Christ and he causes us to serve him. Each one of us by nature is that hard soil, is one of those bad soils. But as God comes to save us, he transforms us, he then plants the seed, he waters the seed, and he grows it to abundant fruit in our lives. That is what it means for the kingdom of God to come in Jesus Christ. That sinners are transformed to be building blocks of his, of his church, to be a harvest of righteousness in his kingdom. Now if you looked at Jesus' ministry when he spoke the parable of the sower that day, it might have been pretty hard to see what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. On the one hand, the kingdom of God might have looked pretty big. Remember the size of the crowds? But the kingdom really wasn't that big because so many of those people who heard Jesus' words never responded in faith. Or if you looked at just the disciples around Jesus, the kingdom of God may have looked really shaky. Uh, Remember the weak faith of the disciples? We'll see it through the rest of Mark. But the kingdom was so much stronger than it looked that day as well. Because the kingdom doesn't depend on us. Our fruitfulness does not depend on us. It depends on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a kingdom that cannot be shaken and which will fill the earth. This is a harvest that will come to fruition. We will bear fruit because of God's work in us. The kingdom is strong. The kingdom is growing And the fruit will come because it is Jesus Christ, the King, who rules. As we close and thinking about what this parable means for our lives, I want to make just three points of application here. The first one is to be encouraged. Be encouraged because now this side of the cross in the New Testament, we see the kingdom of God so much more clearly. We see now, not just with a picture what Jesus has done, but we look back on the cross and the tomb and we see Jesus establishing his rule on earth and doing that in our own lives. Jesus has established the kingdom and we, each one of us, are evidence that his word has power. His word has power to save. And more than that, His rule produces abundant fruit in our lives. So be encouraged to look at what Christ has done and to see what Christ is doing now in us as he has established the kingdom of God. Be encouraged, but also be realistic. Be realistic. We should expect some of the same responses to the word as Jesus experienced in his own ministry. Uh, when, I, when I read this passage and I thought about these three responses from the bad soil, specific people I know came to mind who have heard the gospel and they didn't care or they fell away during a tough time or, 
who thought that success or money or, or something else was more important than following Jesus. I just have to look at Facebook and I see examples of each one of those responses among my family and my friends. To be realistic, but, but be reminded that just because people reject Jesus doesn't mean that he's failed. It doesn't mean that his mission was a waste. Because those he gives true faith to will persevere to the end. When he brings us into his kingdom, we stay in his kingdom. He who began the good work in us will complete it. And more than that, we have the promise in scripture that even though people reject him now, everyone will acknowledge him as king when he returns. So be encouraged, be realistic, and third and finally, expect great things. Expect great things from Jesus Christ. Do not read this parable and focus on the people who reject Jesus in the gospel. Jesus' emphasis isn't there. His emphasis is on the amazing work that he does in his people. We can expect Jesus to do great things here in this corner of his kingdom at Peninsula Reform Presbyterian Church. We can expect him to do the exact same work that he promises to do in this parable by creating good soil in the hearts of sinners by the Spirit so that as the word is faithfully preached, people come to faith. We should expect conversions through the ministry of this church. And we should expect an abundant fruitfulness in the lives of our congregation because Jesus' mission is to produce abundant fruit in our lives. These are the things that we can expect and as we expect them, we can pray for them knowing that these are the things that he has promised to do, to bring sinners to salvation and to bring saints to greater and greater faithfulness, all to his glory. Know for certain that Jesus has established his kingdom here. And we should pray and expect him to, do, to continue to do great things in our life as a congregation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as we look at the parable of the sower... Uh, we want to come away amazed at the gospel, amazed at your power to take bad soil and to transform it into good soil and then to be faithful and to send your word in Jesus to plant that and through your work to bring fruit in our lives and in your church. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged as we see your work and we would be uh, expecting great things from you. Help us to pray that way. Help us to serve that way. Help us to share the good news that way with others around us, that we would expect that you are in the business of saving souls and of growing your saints. And Lord, we pray that as we see your work done in our lives and in our church, we would be thankful for what you have done. We pray this now in Jesus' name alone. Amen.